Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Boston Celtics actually show some life and stave off elimination as they win game four of the Eastern Conference Finals, 116 to 99 over the Miami Heat. But the Heat still have a three games to one advantage. Can Boston do the impossible and storm all the way back and win this series? Or will Jimmy Butler and company be able to close things out this weekend? Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire Dawson Iserlow. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Three guests, 730 Ron Higgins. Columnist for Tiger Details will join us to talk LSU baseball, who, by the way, will start SEC tournament play this morning at 9.30. Pre-game, 9 o'clock. First pitch, 9.30 from the Met there in Hoover against South Carolina, who just destroyed poor Georgia yesterday. Just annihilated them. We'll talk LSU baseball with the Mad Dog. At 8 o'clock, the voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Jay Walker will be joining us live from Montgomery as the Raging Cajuns baseball team gears up to start Sunbelt Conference tournament play from the home of the Biscuits. They'll take on Texas State tonight. And then at 8.30, O2, O2? Not, let's try that again. Wait for it. OTAs, there it is, there it is, has begun for the New Orleans Saints Ross Jackson was at the training complex down there in Metairie on Airline Drive. We'll talk with the man from the Locked on Saints podcast, all things black and gold. So we've got three really good guests for you today, talking LSU, talking Cajuns, talking Saints. We'll also recap McNeese beginning Southland Conference tournament play with a big win over Texas A&M Corpus Christi as Grant Rogers makes history, and so does the skipper, Justin Hill. Astros have their winning streak snapped. I guess the Piper had to be paid. Scored too many runs in that first game, Cat. Got shut out in game number two. It's it's a great day to not have uh, footnotes because he can't come in here and talk about the Piper. It is. You think he's going to forget tomorrow? Well, Hopefully, if they score a moderate number of runs today, and 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 then of course tomorrow shows TBD. Right now, we got to wait on okay, the Tigers' results. Yeah, so okay, I mean, there's see. a lot in the air, but no, it's because it's his perfect way to, to to go. And again, like you know, uh, God bless him. His theory works out today, but it's like that doesn't that just happened. That's not because of what he but, thinks but, it is. But 
every time his theory works, right, it excuses the fact that it doesn't work the next fifteen to seventeen times. What well, what what bothers me about the theory, and look, we there's plenty of time. We we do this enough on footnotes. I don't want to waste much of our time here on the show, but. Is like okay. Obviously, eventually they're going to score fewer runs, and then he just uses like if they score ten runs twice in a row, he's like, well, they're really due to score less. I'm like, well, you your theory is that they should have scored nothing today, and they scored ten runs, so it's already over. But you know, it's just a self fulfilling prophecy the way he thinks of it. Oh, Cad, you got to pay the piper. We'll get to that, and of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open as always. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Boston wins last night. We kind of... I expected this really in game three, but we get it in game four. There was a sense of urgency with Boston. They played well. Tatum had 33 points and 11 rebounds, 7 assists. He was immensely efficient. I would have liked to see more scoring from their starters. I'd like to see somebody else be able to step up. But they got double digits from everyone else. Horford, or rather the corpse of Al Horford, gave him 12 points. Smart only gave him 11. White gave him 16. Brown had 17. They shot the three ball fairly well in this game. Williams went four of six from three-point range himself. So a nice effort by the Celtics as they make 18 three-pointers, but they had to shoot it 45 times, man. They jacked up 45 three-point attempts and only made 18 of them. But they got plenty of contributions. Miami didn't. Jimmy didn't have a great shooting night to begin with. Well below 50%. But he did have 29 points, but he didn't get a whole lot of help. Boston did a nice job of taking Bam out of the game offensively. He only had 10 points. Vincent gave him 17, but they didn't have anyone else score in double digits except for Martin coming off the bench with 16. And he had to play 35 minutes. So... Miami had an off night. They weren't very good offensively. And Boston made them pay. Miami was 8 of 32 from three-point range. Oh, gross. Gross. I know it's the way the game is played now. It's, It's... the, the modern NBA of just jacking up as many three-pointers as possible and not caring about how many you make is the equivalent of Major League Baseball hitters now not caring about striking out. And it's weird for the old man to look at it, to see it that way. It's just like... It's a decent comparison there because like the analytics are going to tell you it's not a problem, right? But your eyes sometimes tell you it is. And I think that's what so much goes back to situational awareness. Yes, and that's thank you. That's a very good way of kind of yeah. Because I mean, at time, yeah, I understand. Over the course of the season, taking more three point shots lends you to scoring more points. Like that's what the data tells you. And and over the course of a major league season, the data is going to tell you that striking out when it, when if you trade off strikeouts 
for an increased number of walks and home runs that that's going to increase your offense as well. But it's like time and place because when all of a sudden there's a runner at third base and one out in a one-run game in the playoffs and you can't put a ball in play to save your life, now we start thinking about all those extra walks and home runs during the regular season that don't matter, right? And the same thing in the NBA when all you do is take three-point shots all season and now you need a bucket down the stretch, but you're just looking for a three-point. And I'm not saying it's that simple, right? But that's just frustrating. I do see it when it's only like a four- or five-point game and there's still like 45 seconds left, and guys are just jacking up threes when you still have plenty of time to score twos. Like, it's it's just it's it's simple stuff like that. And I'm also old enough to remember a time where, you know, George Brett, Tony Gwynn, Wade Boggs, these were guys that were all-stars and some of the best players in baseball. I saw something, somebody sent it to me the other day, and it just reminds me of, would Tony Gwynn even have a spot in this era of baseball? John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, and Pedro Martinez, I do believe, are all in the Baseball Hall of Fame. They struck out over 12,000 hitters combined, the four of them. All won Cy Youngs, all in the Baseball Hall of Fame, right? They struck out 12,000 hitters combined. They faced Tony Gwynn 330 times combined, and they only struck him out three times. Like, only struck him out three times. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember where, you know, not striking out and trying to have your average be north of 300 was the goal. Well, that that reminds me too <clears throat> the story of Joe Maurer, which. I mean, it's high school baseball. Obviously, it's different. He was way better than everybody. But, like, he struck out, I think, his junior or senior year. And he said his coach went up to him and was like, have you ever struck out? And he was like, I don't think so. It's like the first time he ever struck out. It's like four years into his high school career. It's just all of a sudden, and it's uh, it's a generalization, all of a sudden we got a bunch of Adam Dunn's. You know, and, and, and just like, and I remember power hitters also hitting for average and not striking out all the time, like Jim Tomey or Frank Thomas, like, it wasn't that long ago that you could be a 500 home run guy and still bat around 300. And the rule changes are starting to maybe maybe shift things a little bit. We'll see about the shift and everything like that. But that's a good way to get off track. We were talking about the <laughs> Celtics. and I, Yeah, look, I'm always going to get us off track when I try to veer the conversation to baseball. You've been working with yeah, me long no, enough it's, to know it's that. Fine. But what, what surprised me about Boston is if you didn't tell me this, if I didn't know the statistic that they were actually second in the league in three-point shots attempted, uh, I don't think I'd have told you that, but they are. And so f- taking 40 to 45 three-point shots a game, which is what they're doing in this series right now, um, that's kind of been who they are at times this year. So it's not entirely surprising. But, yeah, it, it does seem like – now, look, last night they made 18 of them. That's a 40% clip. 18 for 45 doesn't quite sound that great, but when you work it out, it's a pretty good percentage, and if they make that many of them, it's going to be successful for them. But, yeah, I, I don't know. That's I, I, I prefer my teams to take less than 45 three-point attempts, but that's the game we're in today. So, but Boston staves off elimination, and they do so on the road. So this changes the dynamic a little bit of the series. And we've seen Boston mess around early in these playoffs and still come around and and win the series, right? They did so against the Hawks. They messed around a little bit against them. And we we saw them do it in the next round as well. So we know what they're capable of. Is a 3-0 hole 
too much for this Boston team with its lack of focus and its lack of chemistry from game to game? Is it too much for this Boston team to overcome? That's the real question for me. It would feel like it, but then again, I don't know. I get this thought in my head of like when you have this, and that's the danger too of, and and I'm I'm guilty of it even though I've been the one who's been monitoring it. Like these, you have to take these teams for what they're worth in the playoffs. They're different teams now than they were in the regular Mm -hmm. season. And that, again, factors into our conversation about the BPI and the the analytics that are telling you Boston's still way better. But you do have that thought in your head that, like, and and, and also there's a thought and and then there's actually reality that Boston's roster is better, right? Like, they are better overall. They have more talented players, at least. Um, So there's always that thought of, like, well, if they get this going, and, and again, I bring it up a lot, but it reminds me of the don't let them get this one game because now it's like, well... You go back to Boston for Game 5. If you pull something off in Game 6, then you're in Boston for Game 7. And it's like, as as daunting, and I mean, look, it's what? It's never happened, right, in NBA history um, at this point. So that's unprecedented stuff. And, and history tells us, even if Boston is to play well in these next three games, that Miami finds a way to get one. Because it's just, you know, you just don't see teams. Again, nobody's ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. So history would tell us Miami would get one. The other thing about it is I think Miami, obviously they find a way to play a close game at some point, I would assume, and I just trust number 22. Like I just trust Butler to get it done if they once they're in a game where they're at the finish line, right? Last night, game got away from a little bit before the end of the fourth quarter. I trust that if Miami's in a game late, Butler's going to make enough shots. So that that's where I think Miami finds a way to win the series. But yeah, it's an interesting thought. Like Boston's... Still better in theory, right? So if they, you know, if they if they win at home, which you would expect a team like Boston to do, they didn't do it in the first couple of games, but you'd expect them to do it. They head on the road for Game Six. Something weird happens and they win that. Then all of a sudden you're in a position where anything can happen in Game Seven, and it would be at, at you know in Boston anyway. So that that all is interesting to think about. Yeah, you would think when they go back to Boston, they're going to win that game, but. They're the, also the type of team where we've seen this, where they may feel get a little relaxed because they're like, well, we won in Miami. We got this. We're going back to Boston. We're going to win. Forgetting the fact that they lost the first two games of the series in Boston, right? So this team, for whatever reason, doesn't protect its home court all that well. And I don't know. I, I could see them winning the next game. It's going to be intriguing. I still like Miami to win this series. Even though Boston has more talent, I still like Miami to win this series because I just think I, I don't know. I just think they they're they're a more focused team. They're a better coach team. They're not the most talented team. They're not even the more talented team in this series. But yet they have found a way. They have found a way. Boston, to your credit there in the in the postseason, four and five at home in Ooh. the playoffs. From a team that we thought was, you know, I mean, again, let's remember also Milwaukee was the favorites here, but Boston was the clear cut co favorite slash second yes. favorite in the East, right? I mean, some, some well, like Boston over Milwaukee. Some like, yeah, some like them over Milwaukee despite being the two seed. So to sit there and look back and realize they went four and five so far, and look, they've got another home game to play. And if they even that up at, you know, and get to even 500, it'll mean this series is extended again. Uh, at least what happens last night is that we don't have. Well, we still could have quite a long layoff, but we don't have the ridiculous layoff between game six or game four of this series and game one of the NBA Finals, which, in case you didn't know, <laughs> is already set. And I actually had it written into the drill last night because I, I was thinking maybe Miami was going to win. Had to. Sometimes I write two versions of the drill, a little uh, secret there. 
and have to delete one of them. But it would have been the long, like I think, the longest layoff ever between the end of a conference finals and the beginning of the NBA finals because the NBA finals don't start till June first, and that's not changing. If this series ends early, they're not that's- moving it up. So you would have had, I mean, how many days? What seven, eight days in between playoff series, and uh, we won't get that. But we still could have, you know, what five or six day layoff. It doesn't start until a week from tomorrow. From t- a week from tomorrow, we're eight days out from the start of the NBA Finals, and where do you have one team punching their ticket and another team one win away? What a layoff! What a layoff! We got to take a timeout. <laughs> when we return here on RP3 and Company, I'll get my wishes. We'll talk more baseball. As the Houston Astros see their eight game winning streak snapped with a shutout loss to the Brew Crew. That's next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Houston has its eight-game winning streak snapped as they get shut out on the road against the Brew Crew, the Milwaukee Brewers, 6 to nothing last night there at American Family Field in Milwaukee. That was, by the way, like a rude awakening for me when I was listening on the game on my way home. American Family Field and not Miller Park. I mean, I knew that change happened, but just hearing it just didn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't. You're Milwaukee. Your name is the Brewers. It was so perfect, right? Everything worked out. And I get, look, sponsorship dollars change things. And I, you know, I don't, I can't blame them for, for things like that going on. But I mean, it's the same thing with, it's, it's funny too how those things work. And it's frustrating to me that I like classically named stadiums like Fenway Park. And, you know, now Wrigley Field is sponsored, I guess, but it's like, you know, it's so old, right? And Minute Maid Park has now kind of created this thing. And I appreciate that they've renegotiated. But if it ever changed, it would just feel weird, just feel off. I know. It's just, I'm old enough to remember where you named it after the local city or somebody there. Like, and at know. least the Superdome. I mean, even though they've you know sold sponsorship now, it still keeps the Superdome name, and you just throw the sponsorship in front, which I like. You know, correct, the- correct. Like I remember, you know, Fulton County Stadium, the old launching pad for the Braves. You know, now it's SunTrust Park. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Yeah. And that and that, so they changed it, and then they had to change it right after, right? Because they had that whole thing where the company was bought, and that was really confusing because you only had the t- the name of it for what a year or two, I, and it I already know. changed. I know, I know. It's just that's what that that's what we have to deal with now. But the Astros played a baseball game. That's what we were supposed to talk about right here. That is correct. And credit the Brewers. They Colin Ray combined on a five hitter. Joey Werner and Owen Miller both homered as they get the 6-0 victory over the Strohs. Uh, a couple things stand out to me about this. You get Jose Altuve back, and then in the bottom of the six, he has to leave the game because he was feeling ill. Dusty Baker said, quote, he was feeling sick. That's why he called us out there. 
We took him out because we thought it was the best thing to do for precautionary reasons, end quote. But that's better news than what it looked like. So I, I'll take yes. that. Yes. Let's hope that's what it is. Right. Because we know the Astros can be cagey when it comes to the health of their players. And I, and I Still mean, Still yeah. waiting on Michael Brantley update, by the way. Well, and I was watching the game, and when they came out, and and um, you know they were mentioning it on the on the broadcast about how he kind of had tried to beat out a ground ball in his previous at bat, and so I was just worried about a hamstring or a yeah. quad or something like that. But so I mean, early indications is this is better than it could have been. Your boy JP France, he got tagged with the loss, but I thought he pitched better. Uh, he gave up two runs. Only one of them was earned. Oh, he was good. He was five good. hits in five and two-thirds. So for the young man, I thought he pitched well. I thought it was a nice bounce-back game. Now, you know, obviously he gets tagged with the loss, but I thought he pitched better in it. He was very good. He was very good. And again, I, I and I talked. we've talked about this with Foot. It's funny, too. Sometimes a young pitcher will come up and have some success, but you can kind of sit there and look and go, well, you know, maybe it's a little fluky, this and that. Like, he looks legit. I mean, he has legitimate movement. He has a great breaking ball and a fastball that's got some juice to it. It's one of those, it's 94, but sometimes it even feels faster, right? Mm-hmm. Guys are behind it a lot. And um, now the only issue becomes, why can't J.P. France pitch at Minute Maid Park? And I say that mostly as a joke. He's only made one start there. But his three starts on the road have all been very good. His one start at Minute Maid Park didn't go so well. Are we going to try to go see your boy pitch at Minute Maid? Well, I, I'm going in middle of June, and I'm hoping it's going to line up correctly. But other, other than that, we should make an effort to go uh, otherwise, yes. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So, uh, look, the, the Altuve thing is, look, he's 33. Eight-time All-Star. Broke his thumb on March 18th when he got hit by a pitch during the World Baseball Classic. He's missed the first 43 games of the season. He played in the three-game set against the Oakland Athletics, but then was rested in Monday's series opener against the Brewers. And then he went one for three Tuesday before being pulled. He's three for 12 on the season. He's always, always a slow starter as well. You just hope that it's just he's got a stomach bug, right? That Maybe he had a, a bad bratwurst over there in Milwaukee. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never do know. You just hope it's like some food poisoning or something like that and not a situation where, you know, you have Michael Brantley and then has to disappear again. Like, that's not what you want. Also, a scary moment, Alvarez got hit on the right elbow in the game. He stayed in the game, which was nice. But, you know, anytime you see your best hitter take a 93-mile-per-hour pitch on the elbow, not optimal. If you're an no, Astro fan, not optimal. No. Um, I did want to share some analytics with you. I know you enjoy when I bring you some uh, next level data. To the, I love to the next show. level data from D'Lo. So I actually shared this on footnotes yesterday, but I think it's worth mentioning again because a lot of this, and, and, and I actually used it in kind of, you know, to contrast Foot's idea that Dubon's playing so well that Altuve coming back could be a bad thing because Foot tries to work himself through these mental wormholes. Um, but anyway. <laughs> As Sorry. good as Mauricio Dubon has been on the surface, and I understand that he has. He's hitting over 300. I, I, you know, I tried to explain like there's a difference between an empty 300 and a, and a full 300, so to speak. Um, and Mauricio Dubon's OPS this year is right around 745. OPS, for those not familiar, is on-base plus slugging. It does a great job of kind of measuring your ability to get on and also drive the ball with power. So it kind of separates the singles hitters from the guys who are able to, you know, 
do damage, so to speak. If Mauricio Dubon finished the season with the OPS he currently has, and that includes hitting over 300 and you know everything he's done this season, um, it would be the 10th best season in Jose Altuve's career, OPS-wise. So that was my point to kind of say, I know Dubon's been good, but A, I don't know if it's sustainable for him to hit that high of an average all season, and B, even if he did keep up the rate he's at, offensively his production would still be nowhere near what Altuve's is in a bad Jose Altuve year. Now, the point was brought up about Dubon's defense, and that's fair. Altuve hasn't been a plus defender. He's been, he actually was very bad defensively last year, more so than the rest of his career. Otherwise, he's been mostly average, but um, that was something I thought that I came across that I thought was pretty interesting. Look at you. Analytics at six thirty on a Wednesday morning. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, look, I did do the I did the work on that yesterday. It's not like I had the spreadsheets <laughs> out this morning, but yeah, I felt like it was worth sharing the second time. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. When we return, well, we've talked to NBA playoffs, we've talked Major League Baseball. Well, we're going to shift gears to the NFL. OTAs have begun, and we'll hear from the New Orleans Saints on that. That's coming up next, as well as the unveiling of our foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. That's going to be coming up for the holiday weekend. All you grill masters out there, you have to be getting ready for that. We'll unveil that as well. All right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Day out here, back the ball. Uh, it's fun getting back out here and, and, uh, and getting going. Excited to see, you know, our guys work. Um, look, we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of getting better to do. Um, you know, there's a lot of new new pieces, a lot of moving parts, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna utilize this this uh, this opportunity to get better. So uh, we're excited about it. Dennis Allen, he always sounds excited about things. <laughs> he's very that's actually a point my dad brought up last night he's like i just need my football coach to be more fired up sometimes i was like yeah no i get it i i get it, I, I, I get it too there's a difference I, between being rah-rah for no reason that's what we used to call it in my high school rah-rah like guys yeah. who just try and get you fired up but there's also like a time to and even sometimes again sometimes it doesn't maybe it doesn't actually impact the players but sometimes it's just an optics thing you, you just you know when things aren't going well you want somebody to look upset right sean would look upset well, he was upset. Yeah, right. So, and I'm sure Dennis is upset too at times. It just doesn't appear. He's just got one of those. He's just got one of those demeanors. Which I mean, I guess again, that could be an advantage sometimes. Not letting things get get you too high or too low. But TA about the first day back. OTAs began yesterday. Saints were in full force. A slew of players were out there putting in the work, which I always believe is a good sign. Right. The OTAs, the involuntary work, you know, the voluntary workouts, when guys show up for those kind of things, it's a good thing. Like, it's a good sign about your team and, and where their focus is at. And it feels like the Saints are very determined to get back onto the top of the NFC South. And look, we can have debates. Many of you don't believe Dennis Allen can get this team. Look, Dennis Allen is the coach nearly. 
nearly led them to a division title last year. And they were terrible. The division's terrible. Look around the division. Ten wins is going to win this division. Okay? So, even Dennis Allen can, and they have enough talent on the Saints roster for them to figure out how to win ten games. But I digress. And I, I'm not defending Dennis Allen, by the way. I just... No, it's okay. It's understood. But I have a, I have a, I have a, I don't know if I'll make it a full rant, but did you see what the, what the new kickoff rule with the, what we're doing in the NFL and just the fact that I I need you to table that big fella. (sighs) I'm going to let you marinate on that because I want to rant about that and something else. Can we, can we table that for tomorrow? Yeah, we can. Because I want to table something else that the NFL did that we just haven't had a chance to rant about. We'll rant together. It'll be a ranty Thursday edition of RP3 and company. Obviously, they've made a lot of moves, but the biggest one was getting Derek Carr. And so far, he has looked the part. He's made a huge impression on his new teammates, and his coach gave his first impressions of seeing Carr out there slinging the football around. Yeah, look, I thought, you know, he did a pretty good job getting in and out of the huddle. I thought he was, uh, you know, good with his reads, knew where to go with the ball. Um, You know, the execution, I thought, was, was, was fairly decent. Uh, and yet I think, you know, collectively on both sides of the ball, um, you know, we got to be a little cleaner. I, I'm just going to start making a rule of thumb. I'm just not going to listen to Dennis Allen clips. <laughs> just, yeah, no, look, and again, and, and part of this, I want to, I want to make the caveat here and make the point, like it is also tough to need, like, there's there was no reason for him to even get interviewed yesterday, right? But it's just you know something you do you need to hear from the coach and stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I don't need him telling me that Derek Carr got out of the huddle. He's a ten year <laughs> vet in the league. I don't I don't need to know that he got the play call in. I he should be able to get out of the huddle, right? I, that may be is it's that, okay though. That may be the the extent of what we hear from Dennis Allen on this show until um, until the, September. Uh, let's talk about the actual man himself though, Derek Carr, and. He has been kind of just hitting the ground running. We've heard all these reports about how he's developing quick chemistry with his wide receivers, with his linemen. And, you know, he made it a point, once again, he's done this before, but he made it a point again yesterday to say, look, he just didn't come here to get paid. He just didn't come here to be able to have fun and play in New Orleans. He came here because he believe believes that they can win, and that's what he wants to do. Well, I will. I'll say I, I won't ever compare myself to Drew. You know, I mean, he's a walking Hall of Famer. You know, um, but I believe that I came here. Yeah, I downplay a lot of things, but I came here for one reason and one reason alone—that's to win. And I believe that, you know, I can I can do that. I believe that in myself. I believe in my teammates. I believe in this organization that they can help me do that because uh, I can't do it by myself. You know, no one can. And so uh, I think that I can add value. I think they add value to me. And I think that there's things here where. They're helping me be a better football player, and they're pushing me, and they're they're doing certain things that that I'm comfortable with, and that that I've succeeded at for you know nine years. You know, hey man, you're really good at these things. Let's let's do those things. You know, and uh, you know this is something that we like. Let's see if let's see if you're good at it. Let's see if you know it fits you. And I just I always feel that I can be better because I work to be better every day. So I hope to be better. Um, at least until my body gives out, you know, until I can't throw it anymore. Um, I'll, I'll always be on the mindset of chasing that perfection, knowing that probably never going to get there. Um, but I'll chase it for sure every day, hoping and believing that, you know, there's more, there's more, um, I should say there's better days, you know, for me. 
I want to remind Saints fans of something. You nearly made the playoffs the last two years with Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston, Trevor Simeon, Ian Book out there playing quarterback. Right? Derek Carr is better than all those guys. He just is. Is Derek Carr offensive player of the year candidate? No. Is Derek Carr going to be an all-pro? No. Is Derek Carr going to go into Canton and follow Drew Brees there? Nope. None of those things are going to be true. But he's an improvement over what you've had. And with the team being as close as they've had, even with all the injuries, still nearly being a playoff team, and you've had mediocre at best quarterback play. Having a guy come in and him being, say, the 15th best quarterback in the NFL is a huge upgrade. That's going to result in probably two more wins, at least. That's a huge deal. Like, once again, well, Derek Carr's not Drew Brees. Of course he's not. He's not Drew Brees. Drew's, Drew was special. He was one of a kind. He's going to Canton. Like, like, not everything's going to be Drew. But he can be good enough for you guys to be a playoff team. Look, there's a conversation, too, that we need to have that we haven't had yet. And when you think about some of the more important things that are surrounding this team in the offseason, some of the moves that were made, and there were plenty, right? Some of the additions you made on the defensive line, some of the things you did offensively to get you some extra weapons, and, of course, the signing of Derek Carr being the biggest of them all. We've been ignoring maybe the most important storyline of this offseason, and I wanted to get your opinion on it now. Rashicha he changes number to 22. So how do you feel about a wide receiver wearing a running back number? Now we have these different rules in the league where you don't you're not limited to the classic 80 to 89 or 10 to 19 as a receiver. And Shahid's going with that 22. So what do you feel about his decision to make that change and how do you think that will impact the Saints offense this season? <laughs> um I really hope I really hope that he has a very good season because there's a lot of pressure being put on him to be great this year. Certainly. By the way, um, you by, may- by the way, can I just say this about the uniform? Yeah, Mark wore Mark wore a lot of different numbers. Right. But when I think of a Saints player that wears number twenty two, I think of Tracy Porter. Interception. Yeah. Yeah. Interception in the Super Bowl. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. That that that's what I think of. So. Um, Look, if Shahid can catch the ball as good as Tracy did in that Super Bowl, then wear whatever number you want, bud. You made a mistake earlier, and I didn't catch on it, and that's my fault. When you said it, I was like, huh, that sounds weird, because I was making the point that the Braves made the park change, name change a couple of times. You said SunTrust, though, but it's Truist. That was what I was bringing up there, but I didn't catch that you said the old name. It's Truist Park now. Uh, My apologies. But I, I trusted the Braves fan of the room. To get that correct. I have an open disdain for that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, <laughs> I have, I that have was brought up on our disdain. Facebook, so I wanted to I, wanted I have to an open that. disdain yeah. for that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, when I went to go cover a Georgia State football game, I still wanted to refer to it as Turner Field. Which is, it is called, what is it called? Echo? What is I don't know. It? I don't know what it's called. Uh, but yeah, no, that is... Um, 
Georgia State, they, they don't have quite the uh, – I don't mean to be – They don't have money. No, they don't have the. <laughs> but I mean, what you're wanting no, to say. I'm I'm more referring to the fan base. There's there's a lot of great Sunbelt fan they bases. They have the and largest enrollment have, of any school in the state of Georgia. It's it's a big school, and yeah, it's, it's right in the school. heart of Georgia, right in the heart of Atlanta, yeah. right. But um, there's there needs to be some uh, some game day atmosphere improvements. Ooh, there was none. Now look, there <laughs> needs to be plenty of Cajun field as well. So I'm not saying there that the Cajuns go. are exempt from that. But uh, there we go. That's we not go. something I expected to bring up at 6:46, but. Just wanted to make that Thank correction because uh, someone Thank brought you. it up on the Facebook that it is Truist. And, you know, that was what I was referring to at the beginning with the they change it, SunTrust, and then I guess Truist bought SunTrust's whole thing and changed the name. Outstanding. Thank you. Uh, can, can we give the shout out to the person that wanted to correct us on Facebook? Shall we do that? Alan Smith. Shout out to Alan. Thank you, bud. Appreciate that. Always, always love the back and forth. Carr is the quarterback. Huge improvement, and he also gets paired back up with a tight end, the former Jesuit Blue Jay, LSU team captain, and Las Vegas Raider, Foster Morrow, and Derek talked about being reunited with one of his favorite targets. Yes, but it was amazing. Um, you know, it was, you know, there was no learning curve on how to throw him a football you know uh, I know how he gets out of breaks and things like that, but I think um, I, I don't want to undersell what that man just walked through you know um you know that's pretty scary news and a pretty scary thing to go through and for him to be out there already um you know i'm not getting to his business but it's pretty 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 miraculous i know he's he's thankful you know we were praying for him you know he called us you know pretty early when he found out and you know he's asked my wife and i to pray for him and obviously we do because we're family and um you know i'm just happy that he's that he's out there and doing something that he loves to do and um, the fact that we get to play together is pretty cool too that's going to be a special connection, especially if Foster is as healthy as it appears that he's going to be. Like, you got two legitimate tight ends you can throw to. And you got Chris Olave. It also kind of helps soften the blow if you lose Michael Thomas because you can't have enough reliable pass catchers, right? So if you have to go with the two tight end set and, you know, go that New England offense where they had Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, well... You can do a variation of that. It won't be as dynamic as that, but you have great chemistry together, and those guys, if they can stay healthy, could put something together special. We'll talk more about the Saints starting off OTAs when Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast joins us today later on in the show. But right now, we got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll unveil that foodie poll question of the week and close out hour number one. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Foodie poll question of the week is our poll question of the day on every single Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. Shout out to our guy, Ralph. I think I've start giving him the title of foodie poll question of the week consultant. I do believe that's what his title should be. 
But the foodie poll question of the week is, what is your favorite meat to grill? It's going to be, you know, holiday weekend coming up for Memorial Day. A lot of people love to grill out. Is it ribs? Is it steaks? Is it chicken? Or is it other? Now, when I was a kid, one of the things that we did for a holiday weekend, my dad would love to go out there and grill up barbecue chicken. Take a bunch of leg quarters. We'd buy a bunch of leg quarters, chop them up, and just barbecue chicken on the grill. And that was something my dad always did. I always remember that. And that was like his jam. Like he was like, oh, he got out there and he was in his he he was in his zone. It was barbecue chicken on the grill or chili inside the house. And that's what my dad did. So what's your favorite meat to grill? 47% of you say steaks. 33% say chicken. 13% say ribs. 7% say other. Ralph on the Twitter says, used to be steaks until buying beef required a bank loan. You're not wrong. Now it's a rack of baby backs marinated in pineapple juice and finished with sweet baby raised honey and brown sugar barbecue sauce. What? Hart says, out of everything I've ever grilled, these chicken dragon eggs remain undefeated. Chicken breast stuffed with cream cheese jalapenos wrapped in bacon and basted with your favorite barbecue sauce. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and the picture you shared looks amazing as well. Yeah, I get concerned with cream cheese in, 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 in salty foods because if it put if, when it's in sushi, I can't handle it. But... If it's given in the right situation, I would be, you know, it could work. It could work. Well, what what Hart shared looks like that could work. JP Key, the OD, says best bang for your buck is a good Boston butt. Sauced up pulled pork on King's Hawaiian Slyers with a little slaw are hard to beat. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming as well. What's your favorite meat to grill? Holiday weekend's coming up. Right now, 47% of you say steaks, 33% say chicken, 13% say ribs, and 7% of you say other. Hour number one has come to a close, but not to worry. we got two more hours for you. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two, and we're going to start it off with some saltiness. We just are. Coming up this hour, we'll be talking all things LSU with Ron Higgins. Jay Johnson's baseball squad, the number three seed in the SEC tournament, will begin play this morning. Pre-game begins at 9 o'clock, live from the Met in Hoover. First pitch set for 9.30 as LSU will take on South Carolina. Of course, you can listen to that game live right here on the game. We'll preview that with the Mad Dog when he joins us coming up in about half an hour from right now. We're also going to dive into the McNeese Cowboys. Made some history last night to open up Southland Conference tournament play for both skipper Justin Hill and ace pitcher, the Southland Conference Pitcher of the Year, by the way, Mr. Rogers. 
We'll get to that this hour as well. And of course, don't forget about our poll question of the day, the foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite meat to grill? We'll get to your comments and your votes throughout the remainder of today's show. So that's all coming up. But I want to start about Derek Carr. Many of you want to dunk on this kid, on this guy. And and, and once again, as our guy, Salty Steve, look, he's getting the saltiness in. Even though my man is out there winning life off the field, he's got nothing but salt to give us here on the show, which I appreciate. Okay, car being an improvement is like saying it's better to get run over by a VW than getting run over by a train. You're dead both ways. First of all, that's a great comment. (laughs) It's a great salty comment. So credit Steve for that. But are we living in a time where it's Drew Brees or nothing? Like, that that's the part that I don't understand from many Saints fans and many of you listeners. You don't have to be Patrick Mahomes. You don't have to be Drew Brees or Tom Brady to be a playoff quarterback. You don't. You can be Kirk Cousins. You can be Geno Smith. Did did we forget? Do we forget the caliber of quarterbacks that are starting in the NFL that make it to the playoffs year in, year out? Like, like we we have this knee-jerk reaction that, uh, well, if you're not one of the top three or five guys in the league, if you are not right now Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and maybe Justin Herbert or Lamar Jackson, that your team is trash and that you don't have a you don't have any chance. That's not how the NFL works. You don't have to have one of the top tier elite guys. They're elite for a reason. There's only one Joe Burrow. There's only one Patrick Mahomes. There's only one Josh Allen. There's only a handful of guys every year or every generation that are considered elite in the history of the National Football League playing quarterback. But there's tons of guys that are okay, good enough quarterbacks that are playoff guys, that are pro bowlers, that even lead their teams to the playoffs and to the Super Bowl. The history of the NFL tells you this. I don't understand why we don't understand this. Like, like, it's great if you have one of those generational, transcendent quarterbacks. That's amazing. You know those guys don't grow on trees, right? You become an elite player because you're special. Not everyone can be elite. Not everyone can be extraordinary. Not everyone can be the best at their job. But you know what? You can be good enough to have a very good career. You can be good enough to win awards. I'll break it down for you. I am not the most talented person at what I do. I've been in media now, sports media, for more than two decades. 
I am a college dropout who got my foot in the door in the business and worked my way up from a low-level page designer all the way up to sports editor and then all the way up to managing editors for a weekly newspaper, then a daily newspaper before coming here. And along the way, I went back to school and was a JUCO guy that went back to school and got his degree from a directional school. And yet, I've been able to accomplish everything in my field. But I'm not the best writer. I've never been the best columnist. I've never been the best sports reporter. I've never been the best beat reporter or beat writer. Some call you the Derek Carr of sports media. Thank you. But I've been good enough to have a very good career. And along the way, have had some nice moments where I've been honored for my work and been humbled by it. So... I don't view myself as the Patrick Mahomes of Louisiana sports writers. The guy that has the show after me is a guy that I would put in that group. Dan McDonald is a guy that I would put in that group. Roy Lang III, I can go on. Roe Brown, I can go on here, all right? My point is this. I'm still pretty good. And sometimes being pretty good is all that you need. And the same thing applies to the NFL. The same thing applies to the NFL because more than most sports, it's a team game. So if your quarterback is just, say, pretty good, you're going to have the opportunity to win a lot of ball games. Kirk Cousins has built a career on being pretty good. He's made a lot of money. Been to Pro Bowls. Put up a bunch of numbers. Been pretty good. Has his team in the playoffs. Routinely. Tony Romo was pretty good. Right? No one ever thought Tony Romo was the best quarterback in the NFL at the time. No one considered Tony Romo to be an elite quarterback. No one's ever considered Kirk Cousins to be an elite quarterback. They win a lot of games. And they've been to the playoffs. Now, did they win a Super Bowl? No. That's a difference. But when we talk about Derek Carr to the Saints, we're talking about a guy who's pretty good. And that pretty good quarterback is a vast improvement over what they've had. He's better than Teddy Bridgewater. He's better than Ian Book. He's better than Jameis Winston. He's better than Andy Dalton. So when you've thrown out a rotation of mediocre quarterbacks over the last three years, three to four years, because Teddy had to fill in for Drew. And a guy that's a Swiss Army knife that you try to play quarterback. Derek Carr's an upgrade over all those guys. So if you nearly made the playoffs, Dawson, with having mediocre quarterback play in a revolving door of mediocre quarterback play, and you improved your roster this offseason by adding depth at running back, by adding depth on the defensive side of the football. And you got a pretty good quarterback in a wide-open division 
with three teams rebuilding or two teams rebuilding and whatever Tampa's doing, not really for sure what they're doing, you got to feel pretty good that the Saints can be good enough to win the division. Does that mean that they're going to make a Super Bowl run? No. No. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that Derek Carr is a vast improvement over what you had, and you have now an opportunity to go back to being a playoff team. There's no reason to think that you can't do, you can't accomplish this year what Seattle was able to do last year with Geno Smith. Derek Carr is better than Geno Smith. Seattle made the playoffs last year. Does anyone consider Geno Smith an elite quarterback? Dawson, does anyone consider Geno Smith an elite quarterback? No, no. I mean, he played well last year, and I think if Derek Carr plays like Geno Smith played last year, you'll be very successful. I think that's um, that's a given. So, yeah, I think it's all exciting. I, I you know, and yeah, there's always going to be people. It's difficult when you have when you're spoiled, right, as a fan base, and I think that that goes for a lot of different sports, right? That's why. And look, not to get too into it right now, but that's why people are have questions about Beth Torino, despite an ex, ep, exceptional level of success she's had in the past decade, right? Um, it's about being spoiled and expecting more, and that's sometimes what happens in sports. But yeah, I think Derek Carr has an opportunity. I think it also helps Derek Carr, actually, to be a few years removed from Drew Brees, right? I think it's a lot more difficult, and Jameis was put in a lot tougher spot. Um, but now to have that kind of the, – the expectation certainly, and as you mentioned, the reason we're having this conversation is because they haven't been reset because a lot of people are still kind of caught up in what elite quarterback play looks like and, and that it's necessary. But, yeah, and I think a perfect example of all of what we're talking about is look at what the San Francisco 49ers have done and look at what they did this offseason too. They had a chance to maybe try and make a splash, make some big trades. They went out and signed Sam Darnold and um, are going to run it back with you know mostly the same group and maybe Purdy gets healthy or anything like that. You but. had a wild card game last year, last season, not even a year ago, that featured Daniel Jones versus Kirk Cousins. That was your matchup. Derek Carr is just as good as those two guys, if not better. Yeah, and I think also so, sometimes what it comes down to is what's your goal, right? Is your goal making the playoffs or is your goal becoming a championship team? But I think the next step for the Saints right now is getting back to that playoff realm and then maybe taking the next step. And I think they can take that next step with Derek Carr. I know some people disagree. I think they can. I think if you put a good enough supporting cast around him, he can be the guy. In, in, like I think can be better than a Kirk Cousins, can be better than guys like that. But And, and my bigger point is, once again, if the Saints were playing in the AFC – I say they're not a playoff team with Derek Carr at quarterback. I, I, I would say that. But once again, it's all about circumstances. The NFC is wide open. You get past Philadelphia, it's wide open. San Francisco will figure out. They will find some homeless man off the street to play quarterback, and they'll be fine. Because that's what they do. But beyond that, it's absolutely wide open, Dawson. And the division is wide open now. And I look at last year's playoff teams. Here's your starting quarterbacks. Dak Prescott. I'd say Dak Prescott's better than Derek Carr. I would go with that. I know a lot of people like to bag on Dak, but I think he's better. Okay. Tom Brady. Well, okay. Well, We know Derek Carr's not as good as Tom Brady. But then it was Geno Smith. Brock Purdy. Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins. Four of your six starting quarterbacks in last year's NFC playoffs in the first round. 
Not talking about Philadelphia, obviously, with Jalen Hurts, who got the bye. But four of the six starting quarterbacks in the first round of last year's NFC playoffs, Derek Carr's better than. So, once again, NFC's wide open. Once again, the NFC South is up for grabs. Once again, the Saints have nearly made the playoffs the last two years with mediocre at best, if not total Paul Baum quarterback play. And now they've added a guy who is not great, but he's pretty good. And literally last season, just what, five months ago, the NFL showed you you don't need to have Patrick Mahomes. You don't even need to have Jalen Hurts to get your team into the playoffs and win a playoff game. So what makes you think that Derek Carr can't be that guy? What makes you think that Derek Carr can't be this year's Geno Smith? Or Kirk Cousins? Think about it. Once again, do I believe Derek Carr is going to come to New Orleans and change their fortunes and lead them to a Lombardi trophy and go ahead and get his gold jacket ready for Canton, Ohio? No! I do not believe that. But is he good enough to help this team win the division and get into the playoffs? Yep. And that's the next step for a franchise that's been down and has fell short of what they want to do. They want to get back to being a playoff team and Derek Carr is going to help them do that. Anything after that is gravy. Got to take a timeout. When we return, McNeese Cowboys make some history last night to open up Southland Conference Tournament. We'll recap it for you next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, I couldn't do it without my teammates, my defense. They made some great plays behind me. And uh, you guys in the dugout, uh, owe them everything. McNeese star pitcher Grant Rogers after last night's 4-0 win to open up the Southland Conference Tournament over there at Joe Miller Ballpark. McNeese advances, and skipper Justin Hill collects win number 300. And Rogers was, oh man, he was good. Once again, earlier this week, he was named the Southland Conference Pitcher of the Year. And he was, well, he lived up to that billing in last night's victory because the Islanders managed just three runners to reach second base and none to third base in the game. Rogers received the only runs needed as he cruised for his school record 12th win of the season, improving to 12-1 and on the year. He allowed only seven hits, struck out five, and walked none 
while throwing 107 pitchers, 107 pitches rather, complete game by him. And we'll talk about the thought process behind that. But Justin Hill, the longtime skipper, said afterwards, you know, how helpful it is when you have a guy that can go out there and pitch you a complete game. Yeah, I mean, it was quick enough for him, too. So, I mean, it, it, you know, it'll, it'll you know, kind of help him, you know, from his recovery standpoint. It wasn't t- a ton of stressful pitches. Uh, he had that one jam when he had first, you know, first and second. They had back-to-back hits. Uh, but, no, that was good, you know, a lot of things. Because you could feel the tension in our dugout. I mean, it was different. We, had, we hadn't been in that situation all year. Uh, and there was some tension, and, you know, so maybe we'll uh, relax and play a little bit. So this was brought up between you and I, Dawson, and I had conversations with folks over in Lake Chuck about it as well. So Hill's approach here is, well, first of all, we got to get out of the single elimination game to begin with, just to give us a chance. And their backs are up against the wall here. And you go, well, why not save him? Why not put him on a pitch count here? I think Hill's taking the approach of, okay, my guy just did a complete game. I didn't have to use anyone out of my bullpen tonight because we're going to need to use everyone possible to even give us a chance to make a run here in the conference tournament. So that's the approach. Now, Rogers said afterwards that, you know, he, he could go on Friday if need be. Uh, Justin Hill indicated more it'd be like okay we could use him Saturday because remember last week Rodgers only pitched three innings they did that on purpose so they use him on Tuesday to get out of single elimination so they burn him there but you don't use any of your bullpen and now you can just bullpen it up the rest of the way and hope you can score enough runs That way you can turn the ball over to your ace to punch your ticket to an NCAA regional if you get that far. Once again, it's a gamble, and McNeese is in a tough spot because they dropped some conference series early, and that put them in the spot where they had to play in the single elimination portion of the tournament. Yeah, there's several factors in play here. One thing to think about is that if you didn't use him last night and the idea of saving him, then chances are you can only use him once if you do that because you're not going to pitch him on Wednesday and then try to bring him back on Saturday. At least at full strength. You'd have to give him maybe he could go a half outing type of situation on a pitch count on Wednesday. So you're able to use him to his fullest extent on Tuesday. And then, yeah, have the opportunity to bring him back. It'd be three days rest. It wouldn't be ideal situation. But, uh, again, yeah, he didn't throw a lot of high-stress innings. A lot of uh, coaches, you know, put a different emphasis on high-stress pitches versus just pitch count in general. So, and, he, and he pitches fast as well. Yeah, and, and he's a guy, look, it looked effortless at times last night, right? And, and yes. that's that's certainly not the case, um, you know, when you get into tournament play, that's not going to be like that for the whole tournament. The other thing in play here is I don't think there's anyone in the Southland Conference that you're more scared of than the next team. Like, Nichols is the number one seed, but they're not head and shoulders better than anyone else you're going to play, in And you my just opinion. beat them. Like you, right. you, they're a couple not, weeks ago, you just literally beat them, and you took a game from them in a three-game series that you should have won earlier in the year. Right. This isn't a situation like you look at um, the American Conference where East Carolina's head and shoulders better than everybody else. They lost yesterday, by the way. It's been a wild American Conference tournament so far. 
Um, but there's not a situation where one team is significantly better, so you feel like, well, maybe if we get our ace going against the one seed, we got a better chance to win. Correct. You can beat Nichols with anybody, but you could lose to Nichols with anybody. So I think that also plays into it. It's not like this big Goliath in this tournament that you're scared of. It's that everybody's pretty decent, and you you haven't played consistently enough to beat good teams all the time. But if you play a good week, I think you can beat Nichols without him, and, and that's a different situation. And no one in the conference has two aces. So everyone's in the same boat you are that, guess what, Nichols will throw their best pitcher tonight when they take on McNeese. That's the late game. It's scheduled first pitch at the Joe for 6 o'clock, but that'll likely be later than that because it's the last game of the day for the Southland Conference Tournament. But everyone has to throw their best guy, and you're not going to be able to throw him three times, right? So everyone's in the same boat as McNeese. If they can find a way to take down Nichols, which they're capable of, they've done it during the regular season twice. Once again, there's no one that's head and shoulders above everybody else. It's a completely wide-open baseball tournament this year it's not like last year where you're like okay McNeese is hosting half of the bracket at the Joe and Southeastern's hosting half of the bracket in Hammond they're on a collision course for the championship series which by the way that's exactly what happened we don't have that this year so it's a bit of a gamble but it could be one that pays off in a huge way for McNeese because you could have Rodgers again on Saturday possibly for the championship round but they have to get the job done tonight but it was a great night not only does Rodgers extend his own program historical mark of most wins in a regular season guess what Justin Hill who surpassed Tony Robichaux last year as the winningest coach in baseball history at McNeese Last night was win number 300, and the longtime skipper gave his thoughts on what that meant to him. Man, it should have been easier if we'd have done it on a non-conference game. But, um, man, the, the story of the day was Grant Rogers and what he did. Uh, Trey got, got us going on a great, you know, uh, got us going offensively. He said we kind of breathe a little bit. Uh, but then Grant was really, really good. Um, in addition to that, the defense was fantastic. And we just, we never were able to stretch it out, but, but we kept kept kind of having enough pressure. Um, and again, Grant did what Grant does. So, um, man, just glad he's on our team. So, once again, Hill always gives credit to his guys. And, and that's what he does. So, historic night for McNeese. Can they keep it going? Now that they got to the double elimination portion of the bracket, can they knock off the top seed tonight? We'll see. I'm actually going to be at that game in the Chuck to see McNeese take on Nichols in the late game there at the Southland Conference Tournament. Right now, though, we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll keep the college baseball talk coming as we'll talk LSU. They take on South Carolina at 930 this morning. Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog from Tiger Details, will join us to help us preview that. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back to RP3 and company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got a poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week, which we always love to do here. And since it's the holiday weekend coming up, lots of us love to grill. Lots of us love to put meat on the grill and be the king of our domains. So we ask you, what's your favorite meat to put on the grill? Right now, 55% of you say steaks. 16% say chicken. 16% say other. 13% say ribs. My question to you is this, people listening. How many of you actually know how to grill a good steak? (laughs) Because the difference from when I go to the restaurant and I order my steak medium rare, and sometimes the steak I get from people when I go to their house or even my own house is somewhat drastic. So you may like to grill the steaks, but are you good at grilling steaks? I guess that would be a, a separate foodie poll question of the week to ask. B-Rad says, New York strip steak with bacon-wrapped jalapenos stuffed with sausage and boudin grillers. What? New York strip steak with bacon-wrapped jalapenos stuffed with sausage and boudin grillers? Sometimes we keep it simple and throw in some burgers and franks. Oh, I can't, man, you can go good grilled burger? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Ton says, I'm a traditionalist for Memorial Day. Burgers, dogs, and brats. Salty Steve says, if you think you've had a bad taste in your mouth from the Saints signing car, maybe they can grill him. Can't hurt. Make sure you dust him first. Man hates Derek Carr. So many of you hate Derek Carr. <laughs> I just... I just... I, I, can't, I can't even debate. With, I, I, can't, I can't talk with these people, man. High heat. You want to get a good sear on that outside. Creates a good crust. That's your biggest key when grilling a steak. Little, little high heat. There you go. Do, do, do you marinate? Uh, not a steak usually. No. 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 Um, but certainly chicken and other forms of protein. Yes. Nice. Chico says barbecue leg quarters and Chico's change your life ribs is the only way to go. Oh, my man's got change your life ribs. I'm down for that. I got to tell you, too, though, my dad and I, uh, we got this grill thing. We got it for him for Christmas. Actually, my sister and I got it for him. A grill um, thing. This, So, yeah, it's it's a contraption, and this isn't an ad, so I'm not going to go into name brands and what it all is. But <laughs> let me tell you, this is the best piece of cookware I've ever bought or, you know, been a part of in my entire life. You can ask, you know, the Iceman. He'll tell you as such. Like, we haven't lit the outside barbecue pit in, in months. This thing is unbelievable. It does everything. It, it grills, it air fries, it cooks automatically. You insert the little thermometer that it comes with, and it cooks to perfection every single time. I honestly don't know how I'm ever going to go back to cooking like a normal person because of this contraption. So this leads me to another question. Why haven't I been invited over to the grill master's hacienda? Stop by whenever you want. We should. We actually, we, the pork chops we made the other day were unbelievable. I mean, I really just something special. And it's so thick, too. And, you, you know, I struggle to cook those, right? Because you never can get it right, cook it all the way through yeah. on the inside, then you overcook it. It takes all the guesswork out. It does it by itself. And again, I feel like it's cheating. Like, I don't feel like I'm really accomplishing much as a chef. But what I'm hearing you tell me is that it's Raymond proof. 
Yeah, no, really, really, you could you could hand this over <laughs> to the most inexperienced of cooks, and I think they'd be able to figure it out as long as you teach them how to use the different buttons on it. It's incredible. There it is. There it is. Uh, Notorious Dub says, better question, who's barbecuing and at what time? That's what I'm talking about. Notorious Dub wants to know, when's, gonna, when's the barbecue? And when's he going to get the invite? It's a fair question. It's a fair question. Keep voting on our foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite meat to grill? So you haven't answered this yet. What is your favorite meat to grill, my friend? Um, what's your go-to? If you, if if money's not an uh, uh money's not part of it, you can spend whatever you want to spend. What are you well, going to Well, I guess a really good fillet in that situation. If we're not talking money, but the most realistic, like kind of consistent one would be. Just honestly, I like to keep it simple, a nice grilled chicken breast. But usually I like the boneless one. Uh, I don't like the bones to get in the way. I There is a something beautiful to a, a fully cooked one, you know, when you go the whole way, the whole nine yards. But um, just just thinly sliced grilled chicken breast gets that char. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm a big charcoal grill guy. That charcoal flavor just adds something. There it is. Um, not a big gas grill guy myself. Again, now, too, we have this, this wonderful piece of machinery, so if we're going to cook without charcoal, it's going to be with this thing. But, um, yeah, that's, I think, a nice uh, thinly sliced grilled chicken breast. Mang- mango's chicken breast. Mango's grilled chicken breast. Mm, that's the go-to. Good, healthy source of protein. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. All right. I can't I can't hate on you on that. I can't hate on you on that. I really can't. But I think I would go go steak, pork steaks. Oh man. Cook up a good pork steak uh, pork steak on the grill, burgers. But I'm going to tell you I love just grilling up hot dogs and brats though. I'm I, that's kind of my jam. I am German, of course. So I went with pork in sausage yeah i um <laughs> which you know yeah that's what uh, i uh you know it's what my people do hot dogs i usually go i like and i've told you this before i think but i like boiling them in some crab boil a little bit of a little bit Ooh. of spice too um Ooh, game changer game changer my man says go with a little crab boil outstanding outstanding so keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. Program reminder, LSU, South Carolina. Pre-game begins at 9 o'clock. First pitch set for 9.30. And this is an interesting matchup for the Tigers. Because they face South Carolina during the season. They split the series because, remember, Game 3 was not played due to weather. And that's when South Carolina started to really kind of turn a corner and they were playing some of their best baseball. Now, the Gamecocks kind of stumbled down the stretch, but so did LSU, right? So that's going to be the interesting thing about this morning's game from the Met and Hoover, which South Carolina team and which LSU team is going to show up. And what approach is Jay Johnson going to take with using Skeens? Is he going to pitch him today? Or is he going to keep him? Well, we got reports that he's going to keep him for later in the tournament. To break it all down for us is our guy, 
the mad dog from Tiger Details, Ron Higgins, now joins us. Ron, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I hope uh, Ellis is more awake than I am. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Uh, All right, brother. You know, they can hold schemes because I don't know if Ellis is even going to be around that today, honestly. I mean, I don't know if they obviously really care about this tournament. Well, they keep saying they do. Right, they but now. They do, but but how much does Jay Johnson care about it? Right, the players care. I don't know about if Jay Johnson cares, but let let's talk about this because these two teams faced off during the regular season, and South Carolina started to look really good around that time, and they split the series. The third game did not get played due to weather. Now both teams stumbled in conference play down the stretch. There's a reason why South Carolina had to be in the single elimination portion of the tournament and why LSU's the three seed. What do you think about this matchup early this morning, 9.30 first pitch between the Tigers and the Gamecocks? What's going to be key? Uh, Thatcher Hurd's got to come out and pitch, pitch, you know, give him like three three or four innings, you know, of good, good starting pitching baseball. I mean, that's, I mean, that's always been their key is their starters and how, how much they can get them off to a, a good start. Because, again, we we know from watching this team this year, you don't know what you're going to get for your, your, your uh, really pitching from game to game. And so your starters have to be solid. And we know Skeens is. is uh, we know Ty Floyd is, is, is getting there. Uh, uh, and the third starter was still kind of iffy. And, and that's your hurt starts in games early in the year was awful. Uh, he, he was their, he was their guy who started their first games on Sundays for a while, and then, then they they dumped him. Uh, he's been much better for the most part as a reliever, but he's had his moments also lately where he's been awful. So we don't know what we're going to get out of him. LSU needs to come out and hit the ball. I mean, I, I just say, uh, I think it's been a, a problem for them in their last uh, last eleven games. Uh, uh, their team, I mean, eight of their eight of their uh, eight of their top ten hitters in the last eleven games, their averages, batting average has gone down by an average of thirty points. Uh, only two guys on this team have increased their batting average in the last eleven games. Then that's starting with the Auburn series, and that's when they started dipping. Uh, it's been Travinsky and, 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 and Tommy White. Uh, Cruz has gone down almost sixty points. Uh, and uh, they got this team. We have to is going to have to hit the ball. He's going to have to outscore people because I don't have any faith in his pitching at all. It's Saffron Skeens. I have I have no faith in this team's pitching whatsoever. Uh, and those they're going to have to, have to swing the bats better than they have been. They got to put some runs up, uh, and that's going to be the key. Putting a bunch of runs up because their their pitching, frankly, is not tournament quality pitching. We're talking with the Mad Dog, Ron Higgins. He joins us from Tiger Details. Uh, Ron, obviously, Skeens is not going to go. It feels like Jay is going to keep him as that Friday night guy and because he wants to have his routine set for the regionals and then hopefully the super regionals. So if we're not going to see Skeens until Friday, when are we going to see Ty Floyd? Are we going to see him tomorrow? Yeah, but, you know... That's the whole thing. I mean, I mean, who who else are you going to throw out there? Are you going to throw Ty Floyd? Uh, are you going to throw Jaden Coleman? I mean, uh, if you want to try to keep the keep the rotation, 
you going to do that? And even so, even if they're holding schemes, uh, are you going to really waste them on the first game of a regional? I mean, that's that's a, you know, I, I know you got you got to win one, move to the next one. I guess you got you got to win the first game, move to the second game. But depending on who you play, are you going to really waste them on the first game of a regional? Uh, so, I don't know, man. They, I, they, Jay Johnson has been this, through this before. Everybody, every coach kind of does it differently. Uh, he's a very much a, a routine guy. I want to keep the guys in their routines. Uh, uh, you know, so if they again, if they if they if they get to Friday, we'll see what happens. Uh, they'll get to Friday. I mean, man, I, I, they're going to win one of these first two games. I mean, they're in a double elimination. Uh, so they should win one of these first two games and get to Friday. But again, uh, I, I just did, I sensed uh, I sensed his approach toward this was kind of like Mulkey's approach toward the SEC tournament, which was, "What am I doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to take a timeout. We'll have more with the Mad Dog Ron Higgins after this timeout. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into RP3 and Company. We're wrapping up our conversation with Ron Higgins of Tiger Details. And, Ron, my last question regarding this LSU team as they enter the conference tournament uh, is more bigger picture. Given everything that's taken place, and I know we've talked about this at length, does the bullpen have enough in it, do you think, to get them to the World Series? It's a bigger picture question, I know that, but I just think at the end of the day, there's so many things, and that's why this conference tournament doesn't necessarily matter, right? So, in your opinion, do you think that's possible? It's very borderline. That's not a great answer, but it's very borderline. Um, I, I just I haven't seen enough by the bullpen consistently for, for to believe that it can get there. Uh, understanding, I mean, uh, how many games do you have to play in a, in a tournament day to day? Now I know Jay Johnson likes to say, "Well, you know, we played in a, in a round rock early in the year. That was a tournament scenario. We set up a weekend series of non-conference one time. That was like it was a tournament." Uh, I get all that, uh, and they have the advantage of playing at home. Uh, but I really believe their offense has to carry them. They're going to have to carry them, and, and their starting pitching uh, is going to have to carry them. Uh, I just don't. I don't. There's a. There's only about. There's only about. I say three or four relievers. I. That I, I can. Say I really trust on this team, and the rest. I. I, I don't, you know, distrust at all. There's a couple that walk out there. I just say, let's start throwing gas on the fire every time. Uh, you know, 
Do you know from game to game what you're going to get with Riley Cooper? I don't. I don't know. Uh, uh, Blake Money certainly not. Uh, you know, Jeb Jevin Coleman's going to a starting role, so he's not no longer there. Uh, I mean, I, I think your your best guy of the pen is Gavin Gidry. Uh but who else behind him? Christian Little? Uh, I don't know about him. He's struggling on the line. There's just nobody that that, that gives you a, a lot of comfort. Like it's like you know they're going to get it done, you know, every time, and uh, get more so than others. But the others, uh, you know, Nate Atkinson was good early in the year, and he got he hurt a hamstring, and he's kind of been iffy since. Uh, Griffin Harry's a freshman who goes kind of back and forth. So he's struck good. I mean, Bryce Collins has, has had his moments, but again, also hasn't. So what's going to happen is I mean, Jay Johnson's going to have to string through a bunch of guys. You know, in the tournament's going to have to do, do, do double duty, and a lot of them have to do like like do an inning each. You know, and if you get more than two or three innings out of a guy, uh, it'll be amazing because the, the, none of these guys have really shown that uh, they can get on a roll and, and, and go far, far. And that, that's the problem. It's it's a big problem. Mad Dog, you know it's what's a- not a problem? Having you on the show, brother. Thank you for your time. Enjoy your week, bud. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. All right, man. We'll see you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Ah, the final hour of today's RP3 and Company has arrived. Coming up, half an hour from right now, from the Locked on Saints podcast, Ross Jackson will join us talking New Orleans Saints OTAs. He was down there for the first day of that, and he'll give us a report on what he saw, what stood out to him, and so much more about the black and gold. Don't forget to also vote on our poll question of the day, which, of course, on Wednesdays is our foodie poll question of the week. What is your favorite meat to grill? That's right, holiday weekend coming up. Lots of people like to take advantage of that, like to light up the grills and pretend to be a grill master. What's your jam? Doug on Twitter says, ribeye with baked sweet taters, baked beans, and elbow room. Have a great Memorial Day. It's not a bad bad lineup for the grill. Right now, 51% of you say steaks. 20% 20% say chicken, 14% say ribs, and 15% say other. Keep those votes coming on the foodie poll question of the week. Keep those comments coming. Just make sure you keep it clean and leave it on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share it throughout today's show. But right now, it's time for us to talk college baseball. Conference tournament. Louisiana Raging Cajuns will be taking the field there in Montgomery, home of the Biscuits for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. 4-5 matchup between themselves and the Texas State Bobcats. To break it down for us and to give us his thoughts on what Matt Deggs' team needs to do to be able to make a run yet again, just like they did a year ago, is the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Jay Walker now joins us. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm uh, I'm terrific, and for me, it's a New York strip, and it better not be 
anything but medium rare. There we go. That's the man. That's the man. Medium rare is your is the correct answer on how a steak should be prepared, by the way. Uh, <laughs> always, always. All right, brother. Uh, look, I know a lot of people are like, oh, man, they got to play Texas State, and then they got to play Coastal Carolina. But uh, look, they swept Texas State, and I know it's hard to beat a team four times. I get that. But they should have won the Coastal Carolina series. So they know they can go toe-to-toe with both of these teams. And here's the other thing, Jay. They took down the top three teams last year in the conference tournament to win the whole thing, to go to an NCAA regional. They got a lot of guys from last year's team. They know how to do this. They know what it takes to get it done. How do you feel about how they're going to have to start this conference tournament? Well, you know, that was an excellent analysis, and uh, thanks for calling, and we'll talk again soon. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I got to I gotta tell you, uh, I would rather be on the – I'd honestly rather have this bracket than the other bracket. And I would talk to a couple of people about that last night when I was when we were watching the, the first round games. You know, Southern Miss Troy James Madison. I, I don't like I don't like that a whole lot, honestly. I uh, I'll, I'll take my chances with this bracket. And you know, you're right. I mean, you know, the the fact that you've beaten them three times, I think, is uh, gives you a little bit of pause. Although you know, Georgia State beat Georgia Southern for the fourth time last night. Um, and you're going to face Levi Wells, who's a very, very good arm. Um, but I'm, I'm okay with this bracket. I am. I, I think I'm with you. I think the Cajuns are very capable of, um, of beating Coastal if they can get by Texas State. And, um, you know, especially, you know, the first time you play them, because you're going to have Fluno to go, uh, you got to win this one first. Uh, Nezu's been better and better every time he goes out there. And, uh, Hopefully he'll be good again tonight. He's going to have to be because Wells is very good. Jay, what was the big difference for this team? You know, they stumbled a little bit, but then late in the season they get the sweep over ULM. They sweep Texas State. Uh, They had a great chance to to win that series on the road in Hattiesburg. You know, that last game was epic. Uh, What was the big difference from your standpoint about how Uh, this team finished the season? Well, start with Max Marshak. As a matter of fact, you may start and end with Max Marshak. Um, when we when we played Troy uh, a little over a month ago, Marshak was hitting 190. Now he's hitting 270. He had two bombs at the time. Now he's got 10. Um, he has just really been the catalyst for this team uh, the last month of the season. And um, he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. And uh, so, uh, you know, I... I think that's an easy question to answer. It is for me anyway. Um, I, you know, obviously, uh, Nezu going out and pitching better and better every time and the emergence of Fluno, those two things have certainly helped. But I think it all starts with Marshak. Jay, when it comes to a tournament like this, there's always kind of the debate about whether offense should carry you through, whether you need more arms. I think obviously it's better to have both. Um, but in this situation, back to double elimination now, as you know, the single elim was just a result of weather last year, and it looks like we're going to be okay weather-wise. Do you expect the Cajuns to have to hit their way through this tournament if they're going to be successful, or do you think it has to be guys like Nezu, Fluno, and whoever comes after that stepping up and giving them good outings? Well, I, I think usually what happens in the first in the first game, and a lot of times in the second game, if you win the first one, 
is the, the pitching carries it. After that, you got to hit your way through it. Uh, you're going to see higher scoring games as we go deeper into this tournament, I think. Because, you know, everybody's got, everybody's got one, okay? Some teams have two. I don't really know anybody in this league that's got three. So it, uh, I, I think the, uh, you're going to see the scores rise, I think, as, as the week goes on. But I don't expect a ton of high-scoring games today and, and in the winner's bracket tomorrow. Well, it's also an interesting situation because we've heard Matt Deggs talk about RPI over the past couple of weeks, and I think you know, as a from a team standpoint, their mindset can't be on that anymore. They have to be focusing on winning each game, no matter who the opponent is. Uh, but are you still thinking about the idea of this team jumping a bunch of spots in an at-large situation? And the reason I ask is because if that's somewhat a possibility, then you'd probably rather play Coastal and play as good an RPI opponent as you can going forward. Or do you think it's just at this point they have to win the tournament? So, look, if they get an easier draw here or there, that's the best-case scenario. You know, I, I, I think now they need to win the tournament. I, I went into the Southern Miss series saying, if you win the series, you're still in the conversation. Because now you've got two more wins over top 30 RPI team with a chance to pick up a couple more uh, in the tournament. They didn't win the series. And so I, I, I really think that's off the table now. Uh, I think the only way that their um, that their season continues is if they win the tournament. And I think I think Coach Deggs. I mean, you know, he hasn't really talked a whole lot since the Southern Miss series, but I think he understands that too. That they they need to they need to go in and win the tournament if their season is going to continue. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company once again. Matt Deggs' team, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, takes on the Texas State Bobcats. That's the 4-5 matchup there at the Sunbelt Conference Tournament in Montgomery. And that'll be later tonight. Uh, first pitch does have a scheduled time, but we all know that. We've all covered enough <laughs> conference tournaments to know that those, well, th- those are just hilarious start times. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be probably a late night. Jay, look, they've been playing better baseball Uh their guys that they needed to in the lineup have stepped up and they figured some things out with the pitching. Let's say they get past Texas State, which is, you know, once again, a, a big ass. We understand this. This is the conference tournament. This is the best of the best. We saw how they had a chance to win that series against Coastal and probably should have won the series against Coastal earlier in the season. Do you believe that this team has what it takes to take down the number one seed in the conference tournament? Absolutely. You know, and 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 the, and I say that without hesitation because I saw Carson Fluno pitch last week, and so if they win today and they're facing Coastal in a winner's bracket scenario, I like their chances with Fluno. Now, are they going to be able to beat them twice? That's the question. Not sure I got the answer for that one. But can they go ahead and send Coastal to the losers bracket and make them play their way back? I think they can. Well, Jay, we just wanted to get your opinion briefly here on the softball team. I know you're over there focused on baseball at the moment, but pretty impressive what Jerry Glasgow's team was able to do in Baton Rouge and uh, winning both games on Sunday to book their ticket to the Super Regionals. Just what are your thoughts about that, and then kind of what are your expectations for them as they head to Seattle? Well, you know, first of all, I'm I'm ecstatic for them. Um, you know, I I like that coaching staff a lot. Um, I like them as coaches and I like them as people. And I, um, 
I think that their ability to come through and take down a good team on their own field twice in one day, that really says something about the, uh, the, the inability of this team to surrender. You know, because they had to come from behind twice in, uh, in each game uh, in order to win. And, uh, you know, you got a leader like, like a Carly Heath who, who leads vocally but also leads by example. And, you know, she hits the home run to, to get him within a run, and then she winds up scoring the winning run uh, later. Uh, there, there were a lot of people that, that stepped up for them when they needed it. Um, Chloe Riaceta, you know, I got to tell you, when I was in Clearwater, uh, with the softball team early in the season, wasn't long after that. I was I was talking with with Justin Robichaud, the pitching coach, and I happened to mention Chloe, and and he said to me, he said, Coach, she's got ice water in her veins. The moment is not too big for her, and that was early in the season. And so, you know, she came in, and I don't, and I think the people who have followed the team and who know the team, I think they're not surprised by her success. Um, at all now, you know I. Unfortunately, um, you know the team from Lake Charles couldn't hold the lead, and so the Cajuns have to go to Seattle, and that'll be um, that'll be a, a, a task for them um, if they're going to win. Look, it's real simple, and and I, I think I think we've talked about this more than once. If they're going to advance to Oklahoma City, they got to play a lot better defense than they played in the regional. Uh, because they can't go make back-to-back errors and uh, and suddenly be in a situation where you know you've given up six or seven runs unearned in one inning. If that happens, their their stay is going to be brief. Um, but if they go out and play good defense and make the other team earn what they get, they're going to have a chance in that thing. Jay, always appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy being on the call tonight. Enjoy your time over in Montgomery, and hopefully it's a a lengthy trip and you're not going to be coming back until Memorial Day or after, brother. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Go Cajuns. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, coming up in about 10 minutes from right now, Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast will be joining us talking black and gold OTAs and so much more. Also, programming reminder. Right after we're done this morning, pregame for LSU baseball will take over right at 9 o'clock. That's right. Tigers taking on the Gamecocks there at the SEC tournament in lovely Hoover at the Met. Pre-game begins at 9 o'clock, first pitch 9.30. We're going to have that for you right here on the game live from the SEC tournament. Then tonight, 
We're going to have the McNeese Coaches Show. Only a few more of these bad boys left for the academic and athletic year. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Presented by Mr. Bill Seafood Express, Southwest Beverage Company, Line of Bed out of Westlake, and of course, the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Tune in tonight starting at 6 as our guy Jim Gazzolo will be talking with softball coach James Landroneau and more. You can hear it all right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the Meanies Coaches Show. So once again, LSU baseball pregame starts at 9 o'clock this morning. First pitch, 9.30. Live from Hoover, LSU versus South Carolina. And we'll have the Meanies Coaches Show on tonight starting at 6 o'clock with Jim Gazzolo chopping it up with softball coach James Landrino. And of course, you can listen to that right here on the game. I'm going to bring in the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, here. Uh, he joins me, as always, live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Not a phone call for the air, but obviously you made a friend. You had any, uh, a detailed conversation there. Yeah. Who's your new friend? Uh, no, just 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 a, you know, a loyal listener who wanted to know a little bit more about the grill contraption I was speaking of earlier. Oh. So, uh, but we got it all figured out. There it is. You told him you came clean? Yeah, well, and again, I don't even actually know what it's called. I, I need to go look again, but um, it's, <laughs> you it's impressive. Don't know, you don't know what the contraption is that makes grilling easy for you? I know the brand and, like, the general idea, but I don't know the specific. You know, if you were to go try and find it and buy it, I wouldn't know what to tell you. Is my so, But, you know, regardless. <laughs> yeah, you may need to do that because I want to know now. Yeah, well, and I, I will say it was... Uh, I don't know if it's still available is another thing because I, I know my sister oh. went looking and she was struggling, so I don't I don't know. Maybe I'll get you an update on that. Some type of limited edition grilling contraption D'Lo has. This man is highfalutin when it comes to the grilling. Man's got special ordered grills. Woo! Isolo household. Shout out to them. They're living their best life. That's for sure. Do you feel like you're living your best life right now, Bill? Uh, working on it, trying to be better every day. <laughs> Try, trying to be better every day, my man says. Our poll question of the day today is always our foodie poll question of the week on Wednesdays. What's your favorite meat to grill? When you go out there, you put on the apron. Uh, maybe you got a beverage in your hand, and you're like, I'm going to be the grill master today. What are you throwing on the grill? That's what we want to know. 50% of you say steaks. Jay Walker was correct. The only proper way to eat a steak is medium rare, by the way. That is just the rule. That's incorrect, but continue. Oh, let me guess. You're a well-done guy, aren't you? Not a well-done guy, no, but cooked meat tastes just fine. Um, It doesn't have to be bleeding, and it doesn't have to be rare. Uh, Nice medium. Um, It depends at times if it's cooked Actually, medium rare is not bleeding, by the way. That's rare. Well, meat. yeah, I know, but sometimes, you know, it depends how well. First of all, I don't rely on others to cook it medium rare because that's always dicey in a restaurant. But anyway. If you go to um, the right restaurant. Right. Yeah, well, that's yeah. the same way. But if also, if you go to the, if it's the right piece of meat and it's cooked medium well or even, you know, medium, medium well, I should say, then and it's flavorful and, and juicy and not dried out and tough either. Um, that's just my opinion. It's okay. We can differ. I mean, I it's okay that you're wrong. I mean, that's fine. You're usually right no, on most okay. things, and you correct me, but I'm going to correct you. You're wrong, uh, the fact that you like your meat 
more like beef jerky. That's fine. And here we go. Did I say well done? You talked about putting words into someone's mouth, and you got very aggressive on me about it the other day. So I'll return the favor here and say that's not simply what I said. Uh, so if, if someone cooks up a great medium rare steak, you're not going to eat it? When did I say that? No, I'm asking. It's I'll a eat question. It. It's a question. I'll eat it. But I, I honestly, in the times I've eaten medium rare or rare steak, I prefer it to be cooked more. I don't. All right. I'm not a lion in the wilderness. <laughs> Why do you have to be a lion in the wilderness to like medium rare? No, it's okay. I'm just joking. But quick story. Um, <laughs> my mean, cousin one that. time was in a restaurant and someone next to him ordered a steak. Asked them when they asked him how he wanted to cook, he said slide it across a couple seconds on each side just to take the chill off. Wanted it still moving. Uh, yes, I know people. My mom likes her steak rare, and we'll literally tell them. And when we go to a steakhouse, and she'll go, "Okay, you're gonna put it on the grill, one side, couple seconds, other side, couple seconds, boom." Shaking his head. How how does Iceman? How does Papa Iserlo like his steak? Uh, a little less cooked than I do generally. More on the medium rare side. There we, um, there we go. Somewhere between medium rare and medium. There we go. There we go. Like, there's nothing wrong with you being wrong about how you like <laughs> how you like your steak. Now, next question though. This is even more important than how you cook your steak on your fancy contraption some type of limited edition grill smoker transformer that you have at the Iserlo compound. Are you a guy that just likes your steak done perfectly and you eat it straight up? Or are you a guy that has to have steak sauce? Not big on, not big on steak sauce. Um, don't hate it. Don't seek it out. Um, probably have used it like I would say less than ten percent of the times I've eaten steak. If, if the it, steak's not cooked right, right you'll if the use steak's it. not great, well, if the steak's not great, I'd use ketchup before steak sauce usually. Um, I just don't. I don't know. And I know there's there's a couple different brands of steak sauce that do taste pretty different from each other. Um, but I don't know. There's kind of that tanginess to it that's like really kind of vinegary almost, and uh, that's not what I'm a huge fan of. So. I would if if a steak is not good enough to eat by itself, I'd go ketchup or barbecue sauce before steak sauce usually. There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah, I'm always a fan of having the steak, just the seasoning of the steak and the taste of the steak. And if you cook it the right way, you don't need sauce. That's how it works. If you're good at it and you go to the right restaurant, you don't have to worry about using any type of condiment there. That's the sign of a great steak. What is your favorite meat to grill? Once again, 50% of you say steaks. 22% say chicken. 15% say other. 13% say ribs. That's another one that's tricky. A lot of people struggle to be able to grill is ribs. Hoodat Forever says four to four and half a minute per side on low heat for a medium rare steak. Hoodat Forever also says barbecue is the best way to cook chicken. This is, I would agree to that. It's my preferred way. Keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those votes coming as well before we wrap up today's show. We got to take a timeout. But when we return here on RP3 and Company, how about a little black and gold talk, huh? How about some Hoodats? OTAs. 
They began yesterday down in lovely Metairie. And our guy Ross Jackson was there to witness it firsthand. He'll give us a report. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The New Orleans Saints began their organized team activity yesterday, better known as OTAs. I still don't know why they just don't call it, you know, practice. (laughs) Why why does it have to have a ridiculous name? Organized team activity. Can you just say practice? I don't know. I'm just saying. You don't have to be so, you know, over the top smart about it. Just, you know, call it what it is. It's, It's called practice. But they started it yesterday. We already heard earlier from Derek Carr and Dennis Allen and Foster Morrow because they met with the media yesterday. And someone who was there covering OTAs for the New Orleans Saints is the man from the Locked on Saints podcast. Our good friend Ross Jackson now joins us here on RP3 and Company. Ross, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm great. You got me fired up, though, because I was just on Twitter talking about the same thing, that why are we sitting here calling it organized team activities? It's so needlessly convoluted. (laughs) It is indeed just practice. Like, let's just call it what it is. But I'm great, man. Glad to be here with you. I mean, I remember when I played football as a kid, my coaches never called it anything but practice. Ain't nobody ever told me, hey, Ross, we need you to show up for organized team activities or voluntary workouts. First of all, nothing was voluntary when I played football. No, no uh, it wasn't. But, but secondly, we didn't try to gussy nothing up. It was super simple. You showed up for practice and you showed up for games. That's all that it was. I'm right there with you, man. Yeah. All right. Oh, what stood out to you? I know it's just OTAs, first day of OTAs. Yeah. And it's still early. But what kind of stood out to you from what you saw? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing that I wanted to see, you know, out there, you know, as we as they kicked off OTAs was what's the leadership style of uh, Derek Carr and how does everybody respond to it? And I'll tell you what, I, I walked away impressed. I mean, the guy is every bit the leader that he was billed to be. Um, he leads by example. He holds people accountable. He holds himself accountable. And you can sort of see this relationship that is building between him and the receivers him and the pass catchers and all that and that was another piece that you really wanted to see as well he's got a lot of familiar faces in guys like brian edwards and of course foster moreau who i'll get to in a second but um, you know seeing him start to build trust with guys like chris olave just launching up a pass and giving him an opportunity to go up and get it and he did uh, you know giving other guys opportunities hitting Juwan johnson down the seam you know opening up that sort of seam route in team drills all of those pieces especially when there's a defense to throw against uh was you know all excellent to see and so that was a big piece of it um and then the other big standout for me was foster moreau i mean here we are two months and a couple of days removed from him being diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma at the Saints facility, showing up at the Saints facility to see him on that practice field in full, you know, garb out there running routes and catching passes, not just present, but participating. Uh, What an incredible story Foster Moreau is. And, uh, you know, we got to speak to him after, uh, you know, practice as well. And his 
you know, kind of viewpoint on all of it is is rather inspirational as well. So just a, an incredible story. It's incredible. And let's take step away from the story and talk about what he's going to bring to this offense yeah. because obviously there's a trust there between him and Derek Carr. He can be a safety blanket, right, for Derek. But in this offense, you have two really good pass catchers at tight end. You know what Alave can do at wide receiver. They have high hopes for Shahid, and you hope Michael Thomas can be healthy, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, could we see them run a lot of two tight end sets and them actually pass to both guys? Yeah, I, I do think so. And, and you know, if you think back to, what was it, the 2020? Yeah, the 2020 season when they drafted Adam Troutman, one of the things that then head coach Sean Payton had mentioned was that they wanted to run more 12 personnel. And this was a team last year that ran a lot of 12 personnel, 12 personnel meaning one running back and two tight ends on the field. That's just your your offensive personnel that you you call out. Uh, but, you know, they run a lot of, they run ran, I think it was 21% of the time that they ran 12 personnel. They ran them during passing plays and things like that. So they love passing out of those sets. Uh, and it kind of depends upon what your designation of Taysom Hill is throughout the season in terms of how true that tight end number really is and all that. But, I mean, I think as you go into this season, when you've got guys like Juwan Johnson and Foster Moreau, and then now Derek Carr, who's used to having Foster Moreau and Darren Waller, on the field together they did that a lot in vegas having those two guys on the field i think that they'll do something similar here in new orleans and it gives them an opportunity to be able to fully disguise what it is they're going to do on offense because usually when there's two tight ends on the field that's usually a run heavy formation that's usually a run heavy personnel group and if you got these two guys that are you know solid run blockers that can also go down there and catch passes there's no telegraphing by your personnel what you intend to do out on the field so it does allow them to play a little bit of sleight of hand out of that uh sort of two those two tight end sets as well well ross staying on the idea of guys that Derek carr is familiar with and concepts like that we heard a little bit of buzz last week about hunter renfro a guy who uh Derek carr was you know it was maybe his favorite target at times in Vegas slash Oakland. Do you buy into any of these rumors that the Saints are showing some interest? Do you see that happening, or is that more just speculation? No, I mean, I I think that there might be some validity to it, and the Saints could use a guy like Hunter Renfro. I mean, if you look at their wide receiver room right now, which is absolutely packed. I mean, they have a packed wide receiver room at the moment, which is good because it goes to show you that they're not settling at any point. They're consistently looking at working on that position. Um, Do they really have a let me say proven slot option, right? I mean, they've got options in terms of players that they can line up in the slot. And you know, Michael Thomas is going to take snaps from the slot. You know, Chris Olave is going to take snaps from there as well, but you don't really have a slot specialist that can kind of do the nitty gritty dirty work or has shown you so far in the NFL that he can do that. And a guy like Hunter Renfro could come in and immediately be that person. You look at this, this offense and you compare it to some of the more, you know, uh, productive offenses of the New Orleans Saints past and you've got you know guys that were deep threats that could do a little bit more like Devry Henderson and Robert Meacham those guys are kind of replicated in Chris Olave and Rashid Shaheed just in terms of style of game and where they line up in the roles and purposes that they serve the Marcus Colston of it all of course the Michael Thomas of it all kind of you know matches one another as the X receiver split in that can line up on one side of the field by himself and make things happen but they don't have a Lance Moore on this roster or at least no one that has proven yet 
in real time and in full speed game action to be that style of receiver. So unless one of the veteran guys like Brian Edwards or James Rob or excuse me, James uh, Washington turns out to be that guy, Saints don't really have that player on the roster. And so being able to bring in a guy like Hunter Renfro who can do those things for you uh, would make a lot of sense. So I do think that there's some potential validity to those rumors. June 1st is now the next target deadline that we're watching when it comes to Hunter Renfro. And if the Saints do have some interest pulling the trigger on that and maybe, you know, a fifth round pick or a fourth round pick, whatever they have for next year, uh, can be moved to be able to to bring a guy like Hunter Renfro to New Orleans. I think that would be an excellent addition for them. Well, looking a little more bigger picture and some of the moves we've seen this offseason, I think it goes back to starting, of course, with getting Derek Carr. But do you think the fact that the NFC is pretty wide open and doesn't have elite quarterback play outside of maybe a couple of guys at the top, do you think that made the Saints more aggressive at all? Or do you think they'd have you know, taken this approach regardless of the situation in their conference? I, I genuinely, and I, I don't mean this as like a, oh, I'm shorting shorting your question or anything like that, but I genuinely think it's a little bit of both of those things. Like, I, I do think that there's, I, I, it's hard for me to think of a reality in which the New Orleans Saints, who have invested so much of their future cash capital into previous years and have continuously sort of done this thing to where they're borrowing against themselves in the future and have done it and maintained it uh, well, that... Uh, an organization of that style is eventually just going to, you know, is going to say, all right, you know, we're just going to bite the bullet and, and take the hit here. So I do think that they would have tried to compete in 2022 or excuse me, 2023, nonetheless. But to your point, the NFC is kind of wide open. The NFC South, more importantly, is extremely wide open. And so I think that maybe that did indeed make them more aggressive than they might have been in, you know, another year's approach or something like that. But I don't think that in any case they were coming into 2023 with plans to blow it up and then start all over, which I know a lot of folks were were kind of curious if the team was going to do. I think the team and the organization would have tried to compete regardless, but I do think that they were made more aggressive by how open this conference is and the lack of elite quarterback play across it. We're talking with Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Uh, look, May, they got a big improvement at quarterback. Uh, they got uh, arguably the best quarterback uh, that they've had since Drew was here. Mm-hmm. And they made some improvements there, adding to the wide receiving core and the tight end core. But I want to talk about the offensive line because if that doesn't get fixed, it doesn't matter, right? And health has been a concern for them. How is the offensive line going to shake up with the moves they made and the guys they drafted the last couple of years and guys they brought in? How's that going to work out? Yeah, uh, pending health, which is already proving to be a little bit of a question mark on the Saints offensive line. Uh, I would say that, you know, you're starting five from last year. Sh- you should expect them to be your starting five for 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 this year. And so that's Trevor Penning starting out at left tackle, Andrus Pete at left guard, and then going from center out to right tackle. You're looking at Eric McCoy, Cesar Ruiz, Ryan Ramchick. I don't think anything's necessarily going to change there, but I do think that a guy like Nick Saldaveri, who the Saints traded up to the top of day three, top of the fourth round to draft, uh, is somebody to to watch in this. I think that, you know, as long as he's healthy for training camp, he was not uh, present at yesterday's OTA practice because of a calf injury that he either must have suffered during rookie minicamps or possibly just in training and getting ready for OTAs. We're not super sure. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, once he gets out on the field, he, he'll he likely get some opportunities to potentially even so much as compete 
um, you know, at left guard or at least push uh, or at right guard or something like that. Um, so I do think that the the starting five will be the starting five, but I think the Saints have done a good job at building up a little bit more of that depth that they can trust back there, drafting a guy like Nick Saldaveri, going out and getting a guy like Mark Evans from UAPB, uh, should he make the roster. James Hurst, of course, is reliable for you. Cal- uh, Calvin Throckmorton, you can put anywhere and everywhere. You see Durant has continued to make steps forward. Uh, of course, they're very familiar with Landon Turner. And so I think that, you know, all the things that these guys have done uh, to continue to build up the the depth behind their starting unit is probably the most some of the most important work that they've done this season. And if that pans out or this offseason, if that pans out, then that should help them out throughout the season because there will be injuries on the offensive line. This is just the NFL, the offensive line. You take all of these hits, fingers, all these other things get in the way, um, you know, and, and potentially get hurt. And so there will be injuries on the offensive line, as there will be for every NFL team. But the important thing is who's the guy, who's the next man up and how good are they and how prepared are they? That's where the Saints can separate themselves a little bit and potentially be in better situations than they have been in the past few seasons. Rush, you mentioned Saldaveri there. He's a member of that 2023 draft class, now about a month removed from that draft and a very limited opportunity to see some of those guys in action. Do you feel any differently about it? And who are the guys you're most excited for coming up this season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's excitement around every one of these guys, uh, but I think the ones that stand out are the ones that are going to get the most opportunity in their first year. And so I would highlight the first two selections, of course, Brian Brzee, the defensive tackle out of Clemson, Isaiah Foskey, the edge rusher out of Notre Dame. Those two guys are going to get a ton of opportunity early. Uh, we saw Colin Saunders and Nathan Shepard sort of be installed as the starters on the defensive line during yesterday's OTA practice, but make no mistake about it, Brian Brzee will continue to get rotated into that and potentially even have an opportunity to earn himself into or play himself into an actual like to the starting role there but the fact of the matter is that if you play on the Saints defensive line you have to be ready to start because matchup based um you know down and distance based decision making and rotations that they do on the defensive line everybody's going to see some level of playing time so you have to stay ready similar thing goes for Isaiah Foskey there um I think one of the guys that I'm really excited about is going to be wide receiver A.T. Perry um out of Wake Forest he was a guy that the Saints not only traded up for but did something that they very rarely do which is trade up player away on draft day um, and they traded Adam Troutman back to Sean Payton over with the Denver Broncos and then they were able to move up and, and, and get this guy in the sixth round and they you know are very very happy that they were able to get him at that spot a lot of us expected him to go much much earlier fourth round I think is where a lot of folks had him and so I, I think that's another addition that a lot of folks are going to be very excited about and that I'm certainly very excited about. And then the excitement and anticipation is going to continue to build around Kendra Miller, though we won't really see him until training camp. But once we get to training camp and number 25 is out there, I'm sure there will be a lot of excitement that starts to build around his game as well. Ross, we'll wrap it up with this. You know, they're set at linebacker with their two starters that they primarily run out there. But, you know, Caden Ellis played a a big role last year as kind of a part-time starter and mainly a backup that's a position battle that I'm interested in. And also, they, they have a wealth of talent on the back end there in the secondary. What are you uh, keeping an eye on on those two position groups during OTAs? Yeah, I think when it comes to linebacker, you're just waiting to see who's kind of quickly emerging as the third linebacker. Pete Werner was present yesterday. Uh, Demario Davis was not. So when they were in those three linebacker sets, it was Pete Werner, DeMarco Jackson, who was a 
draft pick from last year's draft whose season came to a very early end, unfortunately going to preseason IR. So he didn't get to play during his rookie season, but now he's you know already kind of into somewhere within the top five linebacker line for new Orleans. And then Zach bond was over on the opposite side uh, as well. And so, you know, I'm just looking to see who's going to kind of become that more solidified third linebacker. Who's the linebacker that shows that they can contribute a little bit more in the run game. So it makes him the third linebacker out on the field, but that can also come in and contribute as a pass rusher to help to kind of pick up the some of the production that they found from Caden Ellis as a spot uh, pass rusher. He finished with seven sacks last season. Can you find that guy within, you know, a couple of other guys that can rotate in with Demario Davis and Pete Werner or come in in some sub package situations and things like that? So definitely watching that for the linebacker side. For safety, I'm really just kind of looking to see all the different interesting ways that the Saints are going to use these pieces. They have some really versatile pieces in Ugo Amadi, who can play safety and in the slot. Jonathan Abrams, who can play deep safety, you know, as a split safety, but can also come down in the box. Lonnie Johnson Jr., pick a pick a spot and you can put him there. And then Jordan Howden, kind of the same thing. Pick a spot and you can put him there. He's played in the slot. He's played single high safety. He's played split safety. So there's a lot of versatility when it comes to the safety room, and that's behind Tyron Matthew and Marcus May, who are your solidified starters. So very interested and very curious to see how those positions work out and how they all shake out. Smoke Monday will be a part of that conversation as well, which Saints fans could not be happier about. Uh, and, you know, how many of them actually get some run in the slot as well and an opportunity to compete with Bradley Roby to be the starting slot corner. So there's a lot of different pieces there when it comes to safety, but good stuff to watch uh, on the back end of the Saints defense. Ross, always appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for being gracious with it. Uh, continue doing the tremendous work that you're doing with Locked On Saints and so many other things. Thank you for your time, brother. Enjoy the holiday weekend. Thanks, buddy. Right back at you. Appreciate y'all. Take care. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you here soon. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed. Twice. In the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog from Tiger Details, helping us preview LSU baseball. Reminder, that's coming up next. Pre-game begins, well, in five minutes from right now. First pitch, 930 LSU versus South Carolina from the SEC tournament in Hoover. Also want to thank Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, for joining us to help us preview the Cajuns' chances in Montgomery. They begin Sunbelt Conference tournament play tonight as they take on Texas State. And, of course, Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast for joining us. Thank him for that to tell us all about the black and gold OTAs. Our poll question of the day on Wednesdays is always our foodie poll question of the week. We asked you, what is your favorite meat to grill? 51% of you say steaks. 21% say chicken. 14% say ribs. 14% say other. Plenty of great comments. Many of you shared pictures of the food that you love and the food that you've made. 
which is always a great part of the foodie poll question of the week. I want to thank all of you for making us part of your morning commute. Thank you so much for that. Once again, we establish you like your steak medium, right? Not medium rare, just medium. That's your go-to. And you're not a big condiment sauce guy. Not a big steak sauce guy because you love the flavor of the steak just to come through. You just want the meat is all you want. You don't need anything else. Again, that's all with the important caveat of if it's a good steak. Well, of course. But I will certainly use some ketchup or barbecue sauce if necessary. To, to hide a bad steak. <laughs> so, memo. If you go, to, if you invite d That's a giveaway, your, maybe. That's, uh, that's a something giveaway. To, if you invite d over to your house and you grill up some steaks and my man goes, Hey, you have any ketchup? That's usually a telltale sign that your steak is pumple. <laughs> Which is amazing. and look, hey. Sometimes it's not the fault of the chef. Sometimes you can cook it correctly. It's just not a great piece of meat. That that happens. That happens. It happens. You won't bud. know if it's you or the meat. That happens, bud. It happens. Oh man! For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo, I'm Raymond Parser Third. We'll do it all again tomorrow, six to nine. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. LSU baseball from the SEC tournament is up next, right here on the game.